0: Our text for this evening is found in 1 Peter, chapter 2, verses 21 through 25. 1 Peter, chapter 2, verses 21 through 25. We started this evening together by reading God's Word, the account again of the crucifixion. And if you've been with us on Sunday mornings past... You know that Pastor John has been taking us through the book of Luke and has just gone through this event that took place. Christ going to the cross. So badly beaten that he could not endure and carry the cross by himself. That he was led there, helped with the cross, nailed to a tree, and left to die. We understand that at the midst of this is the suffering that took place. The suffering that continued until his life had left this earthly body. We see suffering. Peter, in the account that I'm going to be using tonight, is talking about suffering. He's talking about authority. He's talking to individuals that he calls, at the beginning of his his letter, elect exiles. And he's telling them, in the midst of suffering, in the midst of the time where you are under authority, it won't always be good authority. There might be times that you get beaten and are are treated wrongly, even when you do what is right. Right? And Peter can find no better example, no better way to lift those people up that he's speaking to than to recount some of the things from Christ's crucifixion itself. The nature of the suffering servant. That's what we'll be looking at tonight. Follow along as I read from God's word. Chapter 2, verse 21. For to this you have been called, because because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. While he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, and that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. But by his wounds you have been healed, for you were strayed like sheep, but have now turned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. May God bless the reading of his word. Peter has two themes for Christ's suffering. The first one is, Christ's example of suffering is our example for suffering. He starts out by saying, You have been called. And there again, I make note that his letter was addressed to elect exiles, those that have been awakened to the truth of who God is. And he says that calling that God initiates in our hearts that brings us into fellowship with him is what he is saying is among these people that he's addressing. But there's more there in this calling. Not only are they called to what we think of is the righteousness of God, that we will spend an eternity with him, but also that we are connected with Christ, to the very suffering that he would endure. Peter knows what he's talking about. He knows about suffering because the the time that he is writing this, he is on the same side of the cross as we are. But really, we have to understand there was a before for Peter also. And if we think of Matthew chapter 16, when Peter was one of Jesus' disciples, they were together and and Jesus would ask them, who do people say that I am? And they answered and they said, well, some say that you're John the Baptist. Some say that you're Elisha or you're a prophet. But Jesus said to them, who do you say that I am? And Peter said, you're you're the Christ. You're the son of the living God. And Jesus said to him, the only way that you know that, Peter, is that the Father has revealed that to you. The next part of the account that Matthew has to write about is that Jesus is telling his disciples, warning them that he is going to suffer and he is going to die. And Peter says, that will never happen. I thought about what it would be, what what could I use for a comparison? Would Would you say that there would be somebody of lesser authority that was telling somebody with greater authority what was going to happen. The only analogy that works is this one, that the Son of God is being told by a man, you will never suffer. I will not allow it. And Jesus says back to him, get behind me, Satan. That's not the way it's going to be. You must remember, you you must have your mind on the things of God, not of the things of man. So Peter didn't have suffering then. But we also know that he, in this text, was saying now to these people that he was writing to that the suffering servant was exactly the right example. And to follow in his footsteps... Can you imagine what Peter must have been thinking when he said follow in his footsteps? He was lifting Jesus up as that perfect example for suffering but he was thinking of the analogy must be in his own life that he's been with Jesus for these past three years being that disciple in what he has seen. That he was one that was called out and said follow me take your steps behind me watch and learn as i teach you and the things that he had seen even to the point of what we think of as on this friday not but 24 hours before that that jesus would be sitting at a meal with them but before that these same feet these same steps that were together the servant would say, I want to wash your feet. I want to be that servant that shows my humility to you. But Peter's steps didn't stay with Christ. When Jesus was taken away, Peter would watch from a distance because he didn't want to be too close. We heard the account in Luke that when the actual crucifixion was taking place, that those that knew him, his companions, were watching from a distance, still fearing for their life. Peter was not the example to be able to tell anyone About following in somebody's footsteps, because what he had done is had been flawed. What he said, the one that you have to follow, is Christ Himself. He gave Him as the example, and He was a perfect example of submission. We see this because in verses 22 and 23, we see how Christ would act when things were done to him and he had to suffer. Follow along as I read in 22 and 23. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten but continued entrusting himself to who judges justly. What Christ had done, the example that Peter wanted to show his readers and us also, is that Christ entrusted himself to the one that judges justly. In that term, entrusted, we have to think that he, he was handed over, he was delivered, he was committed to his heavenly father. But it wasn't just him that he was entrusting to that situation. He was also entrusting those that had scourged him, those that betrayed him, those that had hung him on the tree, those that wanted to see him dead, but also his followers were part of who he entrusted. All of the situation was turned over to his heavenly father because he knew that he could trust the one that judges justly. See, this is what happens to us when we are threatened, when we are reviled, when, when we are treated unjustly. We want to get even maybe by just words, maybe by deeds. John Stott would say, these are the responses only natural to people who depend on themselves and believe that God does not have control over the situation. But that wasn't what Christ knew to have happen. He could trust in his heavenly Father. Or we might think, that there's therapeutic value in two things. Either we're going to vent or we're going to hold these things in when we have to suffer. Both are self-dependent solutions. Peter reminds us to commit the situation to God's hands like Christ did. To the one who judges justly. Okay, we've seen Christ is our example in times of suffering. And also the second theme, the saving purpose of Christ's suffering. Christ suffered for his elect. Peter in this account gives us one of those places that I think of in the in God's word that we should put a check mark by as like a ready reference. And the one that this t- speaks to us about is if the question comes to us, how is the price paid for sin? We can go right here to verse 23. Look what it says. When he was reviled he did not revile in return but he But when he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting him to himself who judges justly. Excuse me, I wanted verse 24. He himself bore the sins in his own body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. Peter knew from Old Testament law under the system of, of sacrifice that there has to be blood shed. There has to be a sacrifice that the hand was actually laid upon that animal that was going to be sacrificed showing that the sin was transferred to the sacrifice. Peter also knew enough that those that die on a tree are cursed. Deuteronomy 21, verses 22 and 23. Under God's law, anyone that was hung on a tree was cursed. See, when this happened, when the Pharisees saw and knew that Jesus was going to be put to death on the cross... That refuted any claim to Messiahship. The Messiah could not die as one accursed of God. That's what they thought. When Jesus that day gave up his earthly life, they thought they had won. Because under the law it said nobody accursed on a tree can be anything other than evil. But the prophets had foretold Isaiah more specifically in Isaiah 53. And you can take uh, at some time, look at Isaiah 53, how closely Peter uses his account from Isaiah 53 to what he writes here. But the prophets knew differently through the inspired word of God. The very opposite was true. Only the one who does hang on a tree and is cursed for us can be the true Messiah and pay the price for our sin. That is the great exchange. The sin that is part of us, that has separated us from God himself, has been placed on the sacrifice Christ Himself. And He has made the atoning sacrifice for that sin so that a just judge can say the price has been paid. And in return we receive the righteousness of Christ that comes to us. Praise to God. Peter ends by giving us a reminder and encouragement. The shepherd and overseer, Jesus himself, has put his saving, sustaining claim upon us. Yes, we will suffer for Christ's sake. We think that suffering because of being a follower of Christ Happens someplace else, happens in a different time. Can't happen maybe until the to the future. That's not true. All followers of Christ will have to suffer in some way or another. Past, present, and future. I'd like to read a testimony of a Christian that suffered. It's found in 2 Corinthians chapter 11 verses 23 through 28. It's Paul himself. He's the suffer- he's suffering as an apostle. I start in verse 23. Are they servants of Christ? Am I a better one? I am talking like a madman with far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings, and often near death. Five times I have received at the hands of the Jews the forty lashes, less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my own people, dangers from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers in toil and in hardship through many a sleepless night. I hunger and thirst often without food in cold and extreme. And apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Paul does not lift himself up as an example because this is something that he did in his own strength. He realizes that the example of the suffering servant trusting in God Almighty is the only way that he would ever be able to overcome these things in his ministry. It gives us encouragement, my friends, when we think about suffering, that we can also trust in hope in the suffering servant, the shepherd and overseer of our souls. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that we understand again that we look to Christ as that perfect example, the one that freely gave of his life that no man could take away from him, that he offered for us for the atonement for our sins. I pray, Lord, as we think again of our service to you, that sometimes we think and we count the cost and wonder, is our motive right? Are we truly looking to the cross? Do we see all that Christ has done for us? Or in our humanness, do we think, how much should I give? Lord, I pray again as we see that you gave all that we understand that there, there should be nothing held back. Lord, as we have seen in our community groups that we profess again this evening, Lord, that maybe we are getting a greater glimpse of we do not want to waste our life. We want to be the servant that is willing to do what you have called us to do, Because when the Heavenly Father asked you to be that atoning price for sin, you willingly went to that cross. We thank you again, Lord, for allowing us to again see a glimpse of your glory and your marvelous work of bringing us to yourself. And it's in Christ's name that I pray. Amen.